Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. In 2014, a young woman from Japan named Marie Kondo started a worldwide phenomenon that you might have heard of. She wrote a book that had already gotten popular in Japan the few years prior to that, but it was translated in English and became this worldwide thing, and it was called, if you remember the name of the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Uh, Cool idea, and it really caught on in America. Um, It was the idea of like decluttering your life and your space and your stuff. And I think it really caught on in America because we pile up loads of crap in our homes and always wonder how we're going to get rid of it. I mean, we're literally the country that had a show called Hoarders, which was actually quite popular where we're like, yes, that part of us were looking at Hoarders like, I mean, like it was aspirational, you know, like we're like, actually, that's probably a good idea to hold on to everything because you just never know when you're going to need that one thing, right? So... A lot of us do that, and so the, the appeal of it was, yeah, you've got you to, gotta like, clean up and get rid of all the, the stuff. The other reason I think it was so popular is because it was brilliant marketing. It's, it's not just helpful or a, it's not, like, the useful guide to cleaning up. It is life-changing magic. Like, that's incredible. Who doesn't want that? Even Harry Potter is jealous of that. He's like, oh, my, life-changing magic. This is incredible. Well, what was... If you remember, what was the actual, the, 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 the thing? What was the life-changing magic? Well, the thing was, you're supposed to look at the items around your house and decide whether you're going to keep them or not. And the standard you would use, if you would keep it or not, is does it spark joy? So that ottoman, does it spark joy? No, throw it out. The end table, does it spark joy? No, throw it out. Okay, so that was the, that was the idea. In fact, she articulated it this way. Your feelings are the standard for decision-making. Just side note, bad life advice. It, it, very bad. But in this context, your feelings are the standard for decision-making, specifically knowing what sparks joy. So we all got into that. Oh, yeah, this, 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 this chair doesn't spark joy. This, this little thing, this end table, no joy. You know, I don't, I don't get joy from these. I'm going to throw these things out. And we, I think we went too far with it, right? Because we, we took it out of the context of items around your home, and we started asking if everything in our life sparks joy. It's like, I'm dating this guy. He no longer sparks joy. Swipe left on him. You know, like, he's out, right? Like, these, these th- th- you know. This job doesn't spark joy. It's gone. These friends don't spark joy. They're gone. Like everything's not sparking joy anymore and we're getting rid of it. And I I get it. But I think we're missing a couple things there. And I think we should actually look at what do you mean joy? And 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 what where would we actually get joy? Where does it come from? Uh, how, how how are we getting it? And is joy supposed to be a spark? Because a spark is something that burns quickly and then dies, right? Is joy the kind of thing that should burn quickly and die? Or it, should it be something longer? I just think there's some, some words we're using there that we need to better, better define. I want to talk about joy today, and I want to put it in the context of uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about. We started last week in this series uh, looking at these, these character qualities the, that... that that, that should be growing inside of us, that, that the Spirit of God is trying to develop in you. 
And, and these are ancient. They, they sound, you know, we're saying vintage. They just sound old and, and maybe old school, but I, I think they're actually still good, and they're still the things that need to be formed inside of us. Paul writes about them in a letter to, uh, it's actually interesting, that video we just saw from the Brents there in Antalya. Um, when you read in the book, uh, in the Bible, the book of Galatians, Galatia is where Antalya is. It's that same region of, of Turkey. So Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia, the letter's called Galatians, and he tells them what the Spirit is supposed to be doing in their lives. And, and I, and I want to read it, but as we did last week, I want us to recite this all together. So we're going to read this out loud together because I want us to have this memorized because I want us to always know this is what God is doing in my life and these are areas where I should be growing. So let's read this together, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the things that God's Spirit inside of you, when you come to Christ, you are baptized into Him, His Holy Spirit lives in you. These are the things that are, that are being grown inside of you like fruit, right? This is the, the produce this is the product of God's spirit at work in you is that you should be growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all, the, all these things, right? So today I want to talk about joy. What is it? How do we get it? Um, why don't we have it? To understand joy, I think we need a, a definition. This is where it already starts getting a little confusing. The, the Greek word that is translated as joy in the New Testament is the Greek word kara, and it, and it means something like happiness or gladness. Um, but more of a state of being than an emotion. So if you think of happiness as being an emotion, joy is something a little more a state of being. Now to understand that, I think we need to understand a little bit of what the Scripture talks about when God's face shines on us or when God looks at us, how his face looks and, and what is going on there. Um, and that may seem like a weird connection to you, but I actually think it's important. Imagine for a moment God... If you can sort of personify God, right? Imagine God looking at you, okay? You walk in the room, God sees you. What does this face look like? Not like, oh, he's got a big nose, or like, not, not that, but like the expression on his face. Is God happy to see you? Is God like stern or judgmental? Is God a little disappointed in his face when you walk in? Because how you answer that question probably says a lot about you, right? And me, right? It's like, oh, I think, I think when God sees me, he's like, oh, Chris, come on. You know, like what, right? That probably says a lot about us. But the truth is, if God loves us and he's a loving father and all, then when he sees us, there's something that sort of, there's, there's this joy that, that, that would radiate from his face towards us. There's something good going, going on there. I remember when my, my oldest son, uh, Colin, was born, and, um, and we, I think we have a photo or video of it, but I, but I remember just like, well, I mean, <laughs> little kids, you have photos, videos of everything, so especially your firstborn, the secondborn, thirdborn, sorry, we don't give as many pictures of you. Uh, he was there, and I remember sort of sitting on a chair, and my knees were up, and he was kind of like laying here on, on my lap and just looking at me, and I'm looking at him. We're sort of locking eyes, and he had a pacifier in his mouth, and it, it was a little airplane, 
on the pacifier. And I remember as he's sucking it, the airplane's sort of bobbing up and down like it's, you know, going through turbulence or whatnot. And, uh, and it was just the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing um, to, to, lo- to look at each other like that. Now, would I describe that as happy? Yeah, it's that. But there's, there's joy in it. It's, it's more than just a, an emotion, it's a state of being. It's a, you, you feel this in your entire body. It's not, it, maybe it's somewhere right here where you just go, oh, this is great. But, but you almost feel it all over. There's this bodily experience of, of joy. And, 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 and I'm sure you've experienced that too in different ways. Maybe, maybe when you've looked at a child. Maybe you've experienced that feeling of joy that washes over you when you looked at a spouse or someone you just really love. Maybe you've experienced it um, when you see a waterfall and you're in, the, in awe of God and you just feel like, man, God is good. Or when you look up at the night sky and you see the Milky Way when you actually get out of the city and get out there and you can see the sky and the stars and you're like, man, this is incredible. I'm just filled with something here, this, this experience. Maybe... Maybe you've experienced joy when you've had just some good friends over and you ate a good meal and maybe you drank some wine and you talked and you just had a great conversation and at the end of the night you just felt full, not just of food and wine, but full of joy, full of, ah, this is, this is the stuff of life. This is so good. I, I think that's getting at joy. Dallas Willard, one of my favorites, he says it this way, joy is a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. You see, joy, ultimately, it, it, comes, it comes from God. You see this in the New Testament. Uh, if you look through the book of Acts, which is the history book in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. He's traveling around to Turkey and some other places, and he's telling people about God and, and, and uh, telling people about Jesus and, and, and forming churches and communities or wherever he goes. And he travels with a couple different people, but at, at this point in, in Acts chapter 14 that I'm going to read to you, he travels with a guy named Barnabas, and they go to Lystra. Lystra is actually kind of near Antalya, a little north of Antalya. So he goes to Galatia, southern, south, sort of central Turkey. He goes there, and he goes to Lystra, and while he's there, now, while he's talking to people about God, keep in mind these are not Christians. These are sort of your, your pagan belief, kind of average sort of Roman Empire citizens or whatever. And um, he's talking about God, and the crowd start, uh, they, they heal someone. Paul and Barnabas heal somebody, and so the crowd starts mistaking Paul and Barnabas for gods. Uh, and they're like, oh, he, this is Zeus and like Hermes. Like, they think they are the Roman gods in, in the flesh here because they healed someone. And listen to Paul's response to them in, in Acts chapter 14. Listen to what he says, and there's a little piece on joy here that I want to get. He says this, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by what? By giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. That's interesting. When Paul is trying to make a case to a group of non-believers, 
He says, look at what God has done in the world. He gives you rain. Like, this is essential. You, the crops need the rain. He gives it to you. Um, it's the rain and sunshine, these sorts of things. And he says he gives you food to eat. You have what you need. And he says he, God fills your hearts with joy. The source of, the, of, of your joy is actually comes from this God that Paul is proclaiming. He says he, he does this for you. And this is true. For sure, you may, and, and you may notice this if you're a follower of Jesus. If, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're connected to God, you go, okay, where's God at work in the world? There are moments in life that you go, man, only God, only God could have showed up right here. Only God provided the joy that I have and the joy that I'm experiencing right now. This came from him. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're in here right now and you're like, I'm not even sure I believe in God, I believe that he still gives you joy and that you are a beneficiary of something you don't even necessarily believe in. That you, even you know, right, that there is there's this thing, this state of being that, come, that, we can, that we can experience. And I would argue that, it, as Paul does here, that this actually comes, comes from God. The crowd in Lystra, they're not Christians, right? They're not already believing this. But God gives us joy no matter what. So joy comes from the Lord. Joy comes from the Lord. We, we, that, that's, that's the first idea here. The second idea I want you to understand from this is joy is not circumstantial. Now, this is a tough pill for us to swallow because we act like joy. And the way we talk about it, we act like it is circumstantial, right? We'll say like, oh, man, work is just like sucking the joy out of me today, right? Oh, man, I have to hang out with that guy. And he's just like, is a joy killer, right? Like, we, we, we talk about it as if people, circumstances, time, stressors, these sorts of things, these are the things that are going to make us have joy or, or not have joy. Oh, I scrolled Instagram and it kind of sucked the joy out of me, right? We, we act like it's all dependent on circumstances. But joy isn't necessarily like that. Happiness is like that. Happiness is circumstantial. You can have a really good drink and be happy. That's true. You can win the game, and you'll be happy. You can watch the British baking show, and you'll be happy. Like, happiness is connected to those things, depending on circumstances, but joy is something else. Let me show it to you again from the book of Acts. Earlier in, in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, the apostle Peter and some of the other apostles are together, and they're doing things, they're healing, they're teaching around Jerusalem, and eventually... Um, because the religious leaders of the culture are threatened by this Jesus idea. They, they arrest Peter and the apostles, so they throw them in jail. And uh, it, it, it doesn't go well for them. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they're arrested. They're allowed to speak their case. Peter and the gang, they speak their case. The speech persuades them. On the way out, they have them beaten and then let go. All right. I don't know if you've ever been flogged. I have not. Um, but I think it's bad. It sounds bad. Beaten with rods and stuff. Like, it's not a good, not a good scene, right? So... Let's just, like, the timeline of events here, they speak about Jesus, and for this, they get arrested, not where you want to go, into jail, not a good situation. They're let out to speak their case, and they're like, okay, we agree with you. They are beaten, so arrested, then beaten, and then ordered, don't speak up about Jesus anymore. This is how it goes. 
I don't know what your emotional state would be on the end of that, but mine would not be good. That is not the way I want my life to go. Um, it sounds terrible. And yet in verse 41, the very next verse, it says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Arrested, beaten, told to shut up, and their response is some form of joy. They go, oh man, we got to suffer for Jesus. This is... This is incredible. Does that even add up for you? It doesn't for me. I mean, would you do that? Beaten and, I mean, I guess you'd be happy to get out of prison, but I don't think my first reaction would be joy. But I think what this does tell us is that joy is not dependent on circumstances, or at least it's not dependent on getting everything your way or getting everything to work out a certain way. Joy comes from the Lord. And it's not circumstantial. So how do we get it? How do we cultivate joy? Number one, joy is cultivated by showing gratitude to God. If joy is from the Lord, then it would make sense that the closer we can get to him, the more we would experience joy. That there, there should be some direct connection there. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said, it, said it this way. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not the sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. I really like that. It's, it's like, what's the source of this? The source of this is God. And so if you want joy, you have to get closer to him. Specifically, I would say we need to practice gratitude, and that practicing gratitude increases uh, my, my sense of joy. I don't know where you practice gratitude or where you thank God for a lot of people who are followers of Jesus. One thing that we often do, that you hear people do, and other religions do this too, is you thank God before you eat. So you say grace, say, say prayers, right? You say something before you sit down to a meal. And I actually think that's a really good practice of gratitude because you're going to sit down to a meal and you want to thank the one who gave it to you. Not mom cooked or dad cooked or whatever, but like ultimately, where did that come from? The combination of spices, the, the raw ingredients of the earth or of a lab in Nebraska or whatever, but the raw ingredients that have come together <laughs> into a prepackaged box for your enjoyment from Kroger, that all these things have come together um, who, who do we thank for that? Should we, isn't, it, isn't it appropriate, if we're going to sit down to a meal, to thank the one who provides that? Like, I think that's just a good habit to be in, to, to take that moment, because you're going to eat multiple times in a day, take that moment and say, God, thank you for doing this. This is an incredible thing. So we practice gratitude that way, we can, and, and it'll, that helps cultivate joy in our lives because we recognize the good things that we have. But I think there's another way... Um, I've gotten into a habit over the last couple of years, and uh, many of you do this as well. Every day I'll write down three things I'm thankful for. I start a, a sort of a journal entry every, every day, and I write thankful, and then I write down three things. And um, I, I think the long-term, I've been doing it long enough now, I can, I can speak a little bit to the, the long-term effects I'm seeing. Um, I think the long-term effects are... Um, it, it, it changes the way I think about what is happening in the world. Like... 
or at least what's happening in my life. Like, if you sat down right now and, and I said, write down three things you're thankful for, you could do it. You'd be like, oh, I'm thankful for my brother. I'm thankful for this job. I'm thankful for this friend I have. Done. It's easy, right? You can think right now, three things you're thankful for. But if you have to do it every day, you start going like, I mean, I can't say my brother again. I said I was thankful for him yesterday. Like, I got to come up with, all right, this job. I mean, that's good, I guess. But, like, you start coming up with other things. Then you start thanking God for warm air on a cold day. And you start thanking God for, you know, I, I found a parking spot or whatever. You know, like, you just start getting very creative about all the things that you can thank God for. You thank God for this friendship or this thing. And I think there's tremendous value in that. Because what happens is, once you get past the obvious things, you start digging deeper. I think what it does is it... it sh- it shows you the good things in the world that God has provided, and it reminds you, and it helps you see the world as God sees it. Like, no, God has given you many good gifts, rich or poor, young or old, good health or bad health. Like, no matter your circumstances, there are things that God has given you that are amazing, and they're a blessing. And when you practice gratitude, you cultivate this sense of seeing the world as God sees it, and I would argue this increases your, your joy. It, it, really, it, really does, it really does help. It, and it helps you appreciate what you have instead of what you don't have. Because the opposite of that would be to not practice gratitude and instead look around at what everybody else has and then compare it to what you have. Teddy Roosevelt said it this way, comparison is the thief of joy. If you want to actually suck the joy out of your life, spend all your time comparing what you have to what other people have and see how that, and how that goes for you. There was a study done years ago that women looking at, um, women looking at fashion magazines in, in, the, in the checkout line uh, spiked their rate of ang- like depression once, they, once they, you know, they, they felt feelings of sadness after looking at fashion magazines for just a few minutes. But now it's not just magazines on a rack. It's on your phone, available for you to scroll at all times. You, can, you carry around with you the thief of joy in your pocket or in your purse. It's there for the taking if you want it. If you want to doom scroll, if you want to spend some time on that, you can see all the things that you don't have, the places you haven't visited, the places you haven't visited, the, the relationships that you're not in, the, the, the clothes that you, can't, you don't have, the cars that you're not driving. You can see all of it all the time, right there in your pocket. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> Isn't that great? Right? But if comparison's the thief of joy, are uh, uh, the time we spend in that, it's not helping us. It, it's, it, it's not. So maybe while we cultivate gratitude for what we have, we need to limit our access to all the things that we don't have because they're not actually helpful to us. So number one, joy is cultivated by showing gratitude to God. Number two is this, joy is cultivated by being with others. Specifically, joy comes from the face of other people. Now, I know I said joy comes from the Lord, and it does. Ultimately, that is its source, just in the same way that the way we love each other first flows from the love of God towards humanity, and we love one another at the overflow of that. I would say the same thing is true of joy. Joy ultimately comes from God, but we can reflect that with one another, and primarily through our, our faces. Now, this idea is in Scripture. You see, 
you would be surprised if you read through the scripture how many times the idea, especially in the Old Testament, of like the face of God or God is looking at and, and what that does and what, what is going on there. Um, the, the, the blessing that, I, that I, I gave you at the end of the service last week, which we will do every week of this series, is from the book of Numbers. and It's, it's supposed to be a blessing over the people of Israel. And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance, right? It's the idea that God's face is somehow shining on you. It is radiating something like, uh, like joy. God looks at you and is actually glad to see you. That's, that's the idea from Scripture. This is a key ingredient that, that, that the face helps to pass on joy. Um, you actually see this in science, too. When babies are born, um, they are scanning their environment and they're looking for someone to lock eyes with and to look at who's, who's happy to see them, who's glad that they are there. There's that, that joy thing. We come out of the womb looking for it. In fact, Kurt Thompson, a uh, psychologist and counselor, he says it this way, we, are, we all are born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And that we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. I love that. We all come into the world looking for someone who's looking for us. And that actually never stops. You're that as a baby, but you're that as an adult. You want to walk into a room and have somebody go, oh, I'm so glad you're here. You want that. I want that. This is, this is, this is how our joy tank is, is filled. It is... It is crucial for us. That's not just about marriage or having a kid and staring at them. This is about all human relationships. We want to be wanted. We have a deep desire to have somebody's face light up when we're around, someone who's genuinely glad to see us. This is, I think, and I, and I promise I won't go super political here, but I'll just say this. I think this is why it's so bad to cover our faces. In part, in part, because um, we communicate a lot through our faces. And one of the things we communicate is joy. And if you want to depress a population, tell them to cover their faces. Because we can't, we can't do that. We can't communicate this anymore. Everyone cover their face and watch the level of joy decrease in, in the population. So it... The other thing I, I, I think about how joy is translated face-to-face is um, despite it being called FaceTime, I don't think it works digitally. And I think there's science to prove that. I think digitally, FaceTime, Zoom, no one came off of a Zoom call more filled with joy, right? You're like, okay, I, I made it. I got through. But, right, um, that's not exactly how it works. There's something about being in proximity that fires mirror neurons in the brain that works in, in just a different way, in the way God designed us to be, that joy would be uh, transmitted in person through, through, through faces. Um, this is why we provide opportunities in this church for people to have FaceTime, actual in-person time together. Um, 
we are uh, launching small groups here in the next few weeks, and we have uh, signups that have gone live. If you go to our website, area10church.com slash small groups, or we have an app you can download for the App Store. If you go to that app and sign up, there's an opportunity for you to join a small group. There are about a dozen different groups that are meeting different topics, times of day, times of the week in different locations around town. This is an opportunity for you to walk into a room and get to know some people and have them know you and, and, and build relationship there. It's extremely valuable. Part of the reason we do that is because you looking at me right now, that's not it. That's, that's good. There's a value to it, but there's more. There's so much more. And we want to be joyful people. We want that fruit of the Spirit to grow in us. So get to know people who know your face and, and can speak into your, your life. I, I meet with I meet with three groups uh, every, every, this, uh, every week. I meet with three groups early in the morning. And uh, it, it adds to the level of joy in my life. Honestly, it, it does. Just the connection that you can get there and, and seeing each other face to face. It's also why in addition to small groups that we, we have that you could sign up for today, we do other things that are... Uh, connection events. We want you to connect to God, find your people, and change the world at this church. And so we, we offer other opportunities for connection. Um, like, for example, one of the things I always think about is how dark and cold the winter can be and how that's just not great for a lot of people and mental health and all that. And so um, one of the things I think that cures that is coffee uh, <laughs> and, and just and warmth and being with other people. And so um, every Sunday in February, when we dismiss from here, down at 2810 in the common room in the front, we're going to have a coffee hour. We're going to have some treats there. We're going to have some coffee. And it's just a chance to get to know people outside of a dark room, to say hi, to make some friends, to meet some people, to walk into a room where maybe somebody's face will light up that you're there. And go, oh, man, you're here. It's so good to see you. And, and to build some relationship. We, we do this in the summer. We do events called Summer of Fun. We will do them this summer where it's like there's different things so that we can get to know each other, so that we can be face-to-face and, and pour joy from one person to another. The, joy is a, a, a fruit of the Spirit, which means the longer we are believers, the more this should be growing inside of us. And I, and I think that's a, a powerful thing. I don't think joy is a spark. I don't think it's supposed to be this thing that's here for a moment and then is gone. It's supposed to be something deep and sort of abiding in us. It's something that lasts that is not dependent on circumstances, that allows us to be beaten and imprisoned and we walk out rejoicing because we got to participate in the sufferings of Christ. So my question is for you to think about, how is your level of joy? Where are you at? And if your level of joy is lower than you think it could be or should be, um, what steps do you need to take to cultivate that joy? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that even as I picture you now, um, hearing what I'm saying and hearing our prayers, um, your face is a face of joy. That you actually love your people and um, you desire good things for us. God, help us to always be aware of that. Sometimes when bad things happen, we tend to. Um, believe that you are not for us, that uh, there's no joy to be had in the world. Um, 
God, help us to be people of joy. I pray, just as we said with love last week, that we are a community of love. I pray that we are a community of joy, that um, we are genuinely excited to be together and that other people can join us and experience that and become part of that as well. Um, May that joy radiate through this church and ultimately through this city and this country. Um, Thank you, God, for your work and for um, being the source of our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.